So I want you guys to take you back about almost 18 years ago, and it's August of 1999, and I was a junior high intern. And as a junior high intern, my role was basically to do everything the junior high pastor said to do. And uh, whether I literally washed cars, it was kind of weird about that. And we were sitting and we decided, hey, let's, let's not go to some of these bigger camps that we've been going to over the last year. Let's go ahead and make our own camp. And so we planned and we were prepping and we decided to go to this place called Camp Wynola. Now, Camp Wynola is up in Ramona, California. And it was this little tiny, I got a Ramonian right there, got this little tiny place. And we decided we were going to go there. And I'm going to fast forward you. And as a group of leaders, we were sitting around this campfire going through the week and thinking about everything that God had done that week. And I'll be honest with you, what I didn't tell you was two weeks previous, the junior high pastor comes up to me and he says, hey, I know we've been playing this camp but, uh, but I'm stepping down as a junior high pastor. And I know that you're going to get married at the end of this week. And you're going to go on your honeymoon and you're going to come back and you're going to have to do camp. But I, can, I know you can do it. And I'm thinking, I'm freaking out. And if you ask my wife, freaking out is probably even just a very minor term when we came back from my honeymoon because I did not grow up growing to church. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a junior high intern slash throw in pastor at a camp. But at this camp, I had to come up with my own messages every day because he was supposed to do that. My role was just games, so I had games down a little bit. But we also said, hey, let's not make meals because let's go ahead and make our own meals. So we had to plan games, do the messages, plan the meals, and we were in this place. When we got up there, there was supposed to be this big pool, and the pool was green when we got there, and they said, yeah, Something went wrong, and there's no, there's no lifeguard, so you guys can't use the pool this week. And so we're up there with this group of students, super hot in Ramona, very Tracy-esque. And we're sitting around this camp at the very end of the week and thinking, did God do anything? Did we really accomplish something? Because every obstacle that was in that way made it there. And I just remember feeling like I just felt like I was going to come back and I wanted to quit. And that's when it happened. That's when a student comes over to a group of adults around the campfire. And he said, everyone's crying over on the other side of the building. And I'm going, I don't need to resign. I'm getting fired. <laughs> and so we all kind of rush over to the other side. And what I saw there changed my life. What I saw was a group of students that was indeed circling around in a bunch of different circles across the field, and they were weeping. But they weren't just weeping, they were praying. And what happened just about maybe an hour previous is that we had groups of students that were taking pieces of paper from their booklets that I made the day of before we got onto the bus, and they were all just blanks. I can tell you it was such a cheesy camp. And what we had them do is we had them write on there because I, I, and I didn't plan this, but we had them write on the piece of paper that they tore out of their booklets, just something that was just holding them back from God. 
And then what they would do is they would simply put it in the fire. And with those groups of students, when I saw them praying and I saw them giving their lives to the Lord, I remember sitting back and thinking, God, if you can use me in my weakest moments, I want to follow you and I want to do this for the rest of my life. And that moment and in that week is when God called me into ministry. And I want to share with you guys a story that is very similar because I think that there's sometimes in our walks and in our, in our lives where we feel like, is God, can God really use me? Can God really use a person who feels like they are at the weakest points of their life and maybe just moments where they feel like, there's no way God can use a person like me through my hurts, through my pains, and through my sorrows. But what I want to do is I want to share with you guys a story about a guy named Gideon. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it comes out of the book of Judges. Now, it's kind of weird when you think about the book of Judges because often we think of, when you think of the word judge, we often think of the things of like, oh no, don't judge me. But God uses judges in the Bible in a little bit of a different way. You see, kind of leading up to the story of the book of Gideon, what I want you to do is if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Judges, chapter 6. And what happens in the, in the book of Judges is that what happens is, is that you had Joshua, who was kind of God's chosen leader to take from Moses, and he took his, the Israelites into the promised land. And as Joshua was kind of like God's chosen person for the Israelites, so now all of a sudden they're in the promised land, but Joshua dies. And what happens through that constant, through each chapter of the book of Judges is that what happens is that because Joshua dies, so does that generation that kind of heard and remembered the stories and would remind their kids and they would kind of live out that Deuteronomy 6, that the Shema, that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that they were supposed to teach them. And what happens in the book of Judges, it says that the Israelites continued to walk away from God. And as a matter of fact, they kept on saying that it would enter into every one of these chapters. And in chapter six, verse one, I'm gonna kind of just kind of recap for you. In verse one, it just says, again, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so what would happen is, is that there was this group of Midianites that God left a group of people still in the promised land to oppose the Israelites. And every time the Israelites would build like their farms and the places that they were living, it would say, the scriptures and judges said that they would come in and they would just absolutely devastate their crops, steal everything that they had been farming. And what would happen is it says for seven years, this was happening until the point where they were just empty handed. And it says they finally just cried out to God. And that's where we pick up in this moment in Judges chapter six, where they've just finished crying out to God as their last resort. And in Judges chapter six, verse seven, we read where Gideon comes in. It says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors, and I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites and those in the land that you live, but you have not listened to me. 
And so what happens is you have this story of people crying out saying, God, we need you again because we've tried this on our own and we cannot do it. And he sends them this prophet, this person who is just absolutely just speaking truth into their lives and saying, listen, I've been showing you through the history of your lineage of everything that I have done for you. And yet you continue to walk away from God. But I love what happens here in verse 11. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said this, and I want you to remember this phrase because we're going to be covering this for the rest of this time this morning. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love Gideon's response because I think it's partly our response as well. Sometimes when we are trying to follow God, it says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said this, and I believe he's saying this to us this morning, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then I love Gideon's response again, but Lord, and I heard Pastor Scott last week was talking about all the buts in the Bible and talking about this idea of saying, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered. And I think he answers these things when we are truly questioning, God, why me? And he says, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites together. And there's something powerful when we listen to this story. And we're not done in this story by any means. But there are some times whether when we are looking at this story, it's saying, does this really relate to my life? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at five points this morning to really kind of talk about how our story might be very similar to Gideon's. And so the first point we're going to talk about is this, is that God's call on our life often creates a challenge with what we believe about ourselves. God's call on our life often creates a challenge about what we believe about ourselves. You see, Gideon, I love his excuses to God. First of all, God is appearing to him, and he's saying, listen, I am hiding right now. And I am, I'm not only hiding, but I am actually threshing wheat, which is supposed to be done on the out, out, out in the open, and here he is in this wine press hiding from all the Midianites so, God, so that they do not take what he is doing. And then all of a sudden, this angel appears and saying, you are a brave and mighty warrior, and I love his response in saying, okay, wait a second, God. I don't think you clearly understand what I'm saying. Is that you understand that my family, they're not leaders in all the Israelites. They're not leading the Israelites. My family is actually the weakest in all of these areas over here. And not only that, is my family the weakest in all these areas, but I am the weakest in my own family. I'm the runt of the litter. God, how can you use 
a person like me. And so what begins to happen is he starts struggling in this conversation of saying God is calling him to something great, yet at the same point he is consistently doubting how he sees himself and not listening to saying how God is giving him these promises. And these promises are not only just for Gideon, but for us here this morning. And some of those promises, he's first to remind him and saying, what I want you to do is I want you to go in the strength that you have. There's something powerful when God tells you, go in the strength that you have, because I'm pretty sure, like you, like me in that moment, over 18 years ago, that he wants us to go wherever we're at, where we feel that we are at our weakest. God's saying, I am ready to use you than at your weakest. If you feel that you're at your strongest, then I'm ready to use you at your strongest. But wherever I'm calling you, just go in the strength that you have. And then he also reminds him, he's saying, not only that, I've got another promise for you. He also says, am I not sending you? And I know that when we are constantly going to the scriptures, if you are a Christ follower and you're trying to say, I just want to build an amazing relationship with God, but I don't know how. And every time I read this, I keep on looking and I doubt that there's no way that I can do that. And what he is saying to us this morning is saying, am I not sending you? And then he also reminds him and he says, listen, I will be with you. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but I was just thinking about it in the Great Commission. After he tells him to go out and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them, he tells him at the very end, teaching him everything I've obeyed. And he says, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what we have to remember and hold on to this morning, church, is this. We have to remember that God is with you no matter where you go. Now, we're not going to read into this story really quick, but what happens is, is that Gideon starts going, okay. And he actually tells him in the very next verse, it says in verse 17, it says, Gideon replied, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now, I don't know if you've asked God for signs. God, show me this sign. God, show me this sign. Part of my voice, I'm losing it, but this is awesome. Uh, it's going to get deep here soon. And so what's going to happen is this. He tells him, show me a sign, God. And, and what he does is he tells God, wait here. <laughs> I love this. Like, like God's not over there. But wait here, God. And he goes and he gets his father's bull. And the Lord tells him, I want you to build this altar. And he goes and he, he sacrifices his father's bull. And what he sees is he sees, it says the angel of the Lord touched the bull and it consumed it. And now he's sitting back and he's thinking, wow, God really is with me. And so what happens is, is that it says that the scriptures tell us that he builds this altar and he dedicates it to the Lord. And this is what he calls it. It says in verse 24, he calls it that the Lord is peace. And I love it that sometimes when we feel like, hey, I am doing exactly what God calls me to do. And now all of a sudden he gives us a peace. And now God does something else in this challenge. And this is where we're gonna continue picking up in verse 25, because now God says, and actually I'll read verse 24, it says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in, the, in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. But in verse 25 it says, that same night, I love how God sometimes gives us a peace, but he's like, ha, ah, I'm not done with you. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd 
the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it, and then build a proper kind, I love that, a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole, and cut down and offer the second bull as an offering. And so Gideon I'm actually going to go ahead and just stop there for a second and just kind of remind us here for a second. It says, so right there in, moment, in that moment, I want to kind of describe to you the reason why God wanted him to go ahead and to, 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 to sacrifice this second bull was because the Israelites went into the land out of the promised land and now they came from, they went from being shepherds to farmers, and as they were kind of building all of these crops, what happened was is all these Midianites were following not Yahweh God. What they were following was Azra. And Azra was this, they built these totem poles to celebrate this goddess of fertility that would give them all of this land. And so what happened was is that they're in these moments and they're celebrating God. And now all of a sudden, now he's, God is saying, okay, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to take and I want you to destroy this. And in verse 27, we continue, it says, so Gideon then took his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was, I love this part, afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So in the morning when the men of the town got up and there is Baal's altar demolished and the Azra pole beside it, it cut down and the second bull sacrificed to it on the altar, they asked to each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And so in the very moment when God was just giving him peace, God was also challenging him to our next point this morning in how maybe we have very similar stories to Gideon, and that is this, is that following God often brings us out, up out of our comfort zones. Following God often brings us up out of our comfort zones. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of comfort zones. Like, I love my family. I love spending time with my family. But there is times when God says, I'm gonna call you out of your comfort zone, and I want you to invite people with your family or to be a part of your family. And there's times when God's saying, I need you to step out of your comfort zones. And just like in this moment where God was challenging Gideon, what he was saying is, I need you to go to your people because what happens is, is that they are now following Yahweh God, but they're also doing a Yahweh plus. And there are simply times in our lives before you can follow me is what he's challenging. He says, I need you to get rid of these idols that not only the Midianites were following, but now the Israelites were beginning to follow. And before you can do what I've called you to do, you need to clear out the things that are just simply distracting you. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And what God was just simply showing Gideon saying, my people are getting entangled with all these other idols and they're not following me. And so in that moment, he's asking him to tear it down. And so what happens is he's now scared. And now he's going, now all the people in the town are beginning to talk. And they're saying, who destroyed our idols? And what happens is this. It says, further in that passage, 
it says that they all started realizing that it was actually Gideon that did that. And right before they were about to go out and destroy him and kill him and maybe his family, his father steps up and says, I want to challenge you guys. If your idols, if Azra, if Baal is so big and so strong, then why don't you let Baal contend with him? And as they sat and talked about, well, our God is supposed to be big and strong. Yeah, I guess he can take him out and kill him. So let's go ahead and let Baal take, contend with him. And so what happens is they begin in that moment, they start saying, let Baal contend with, which also called them Jerub Baal. And that's how they refer to Gideon from this point forward. But now God's going, okay, see Gideon, I've rescued you from this group of people. But he is not done yet. Now Gideon's getting a little bit charged up, right? He's getting a little excited. He's going, yes, I think God is ready to use me. And then he brings him to this next point where now, and this is kind of cool because he's getting ready to blow this horn because he says that the spirit of the Lord was upon him. So he's blowing this horn. And now groups of people start coming. And this is where we pick up in this passage in verse 34. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. And he sent messages throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Azra, to Zebelim, and to Naphtali, so that they too went to meet with them. So now Gideon's beginning to feel, he goes, the spirit of the Lord was on him. And now this is where Gideon starts getting a little bit, I call it in his, kind of in this one phase, kind of the arrogant phase, because now it's like, God rescued me from a group of people. I've seen him consume fire. He called me a mighty warrior. And so now Gideon goes and he says this. Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, and now he's even using his promises against him, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece, and on the, all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And I love this because here we are. He gets his fleece, and I love illustrations just like Pastor Chris Thielen and Chillin's pastor. I love it because this is going to represent that fleece. And what happens is, is he's seeing this area, and he's saying, listen, if I lay down this fleece, I'm going to call it a shamwow. <laughs> and what happens is, is if I get up the next morning, and if this shamwow, God, is completely saturated, and everything else is dry, I'm going to market it, and I'm going to sell it on some TV commercials, but also, I am going to know that you are God. And guess what happens? God entertains him, and he says, yeah, sure, I'm going to do that. But he wasn't done. And let's continue on in verse 39. It says, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. You ever have these conversations with God? If you said this, your promises said this, and if I do this and he does it, do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. This time, make this shamwell dry and everything else covered around it with dew. And it says in verse 40, that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. I like this, and I find that my story is very similar to this because there's times where I think, man, I'm gonna test God. 
and I'm gonna remind him of his promises and I'm gonna tell him, say, God, if you do this, then for sure I'm in. But don't be angry with me. I've got one more test. If you can do this one more thing, God, if you can make the ShamWow dry because it is nearly impossible to make a ShamWow dry if there's everything else wet around it. And God proves to him and says, okay, I'll do that. And we come to our third point here this morning, which is this, is that sometimes God entertains our requests, but for a purpose. We think we have God by, you know, like, yes, now I can tell him anything because, hey, you've called me to do this, which means I can say and do anything I want. And God's entertaining it. I say entertaining it because what happens next is where God begins to really challenge us. And really, we start coming down this back half of where we're at this morning. Is that we may think that we are getting what we want, what we want, but what we're not seeing is the whole picture. And so as we continue now in Judges chapter 7, I want to give you this picture. 32,000 men show up for battle, to battle with Gideon. He is pumped up. It says that the Spirit of the Lord is with him. And now it's God's turn. Let's continue reading. Verse 1, chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near Moreh. And then in verse 2 it says, The Lord said to Gideon, (laughs) You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear, they may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And here's the crazy part. 22,000 men left, and only 10,000 remained. How does that relate to us this morning? I can't tell you how many times where I feel like God has taken me these points where I feel like I am at my weakest. He builds me up, and he gives me some great confidence, and then he says, guess what? You've got some pretty good confidence. Congratulations. Spirit of the Lord is upon you. But what I'm going to do next is I'm going to prove to you that I am God. And you have too many men. Maybe for some, you have too many things maybe you think are going right in your life. And why now, God, is this happening when I feel like you have called me to do what you've asked me to do? And he tells the men, there are too many men for you. If you're afraid... And I'm thinking, I'm still thinking, he's confident. He's got 32,000 people. He's saying, if you're afraid, leave. And I'm pretty sure he's probably standing back going, watch this, God. One, two, three, 10,000? Wait, wait, 20,000? And 22,000 people leave. I don't know about you, but that could be a really humbling piece where only 10,000 remain. But, hey, 10,000 member church, bam, let's do this. 10,000 people remain, and now all of a sudden, God does this again to them. Verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, now it's not Gideon talking, it's God talking to Gideon. And there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them there for you. If I say, this one shall go, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go, he 
shall not go. He's beginning to give them very clear directions. And in verse five, so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord separated him. He separated those who lapped water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneeled down to drink. And here's probably one of the hardest things that we read in this passage. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And in verse seven, and this is where I believe that God really prepares us. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and, the Mid- and give the Midianites into your hands. And he reassures him when he first called him that mighty warrior, he says, listen here. I want you to go down and I want you to separate the people, those who are kind of going down and just lapping like a dog. And and again, I don't know if you've seen a dog lap water before, but they are sloppy. My dog, when you get him in the bowl and he's, we probably should get a tray because he's lick water and water's just kind of like lapping up everywhere. Sometimes he goes to our pool, so I think he's got full of chlorine as well. And so what happens is, is that he wants you to separate those who lap like a dog to those who kind of bring the water up to them and drink it this way. Now, I don't know about you, But God gives him the plan. I wish he would always give me the plan. But what he does is he gives him a plan because he says, I want you to go and take people down there and I'm gonna separate them, but I'm gonna separate those who lap like a dog and those who bring it to their face. I would be doing this to 10,000 people, one at a time. Bring it to your face. Bring it to your face. Spread the word. Bring it to your face. And they were thirsty. And these men were wanting to stay because they were not afraid. But what God was saying is saying, listen, there's still too many people. And he brings it down to 300 people. And then God says, now you're ready. And I feel like sometimes when we have this relationship with God, he builds us the confidence because we have the assurity of the scriptures. But then he also says, listen, the way I'm gonna rescue this is not in your own strength. I'm gonna deliver people into your hands and guess what? It's not gonna be because you did it. It's because I did it. And so what happens in that very moment is 300 people then are ready for battle. What I'm not telling you is this, is that there's 135,000 people waiting for them down the mountain. We've got a ratio of 135,000 to 300. It's pretty good odds, right? I think most of us would sit here and go, I'm out. Sorry, God, not gonna happen. I'm done. But God has been taking him through a journey this whole way, and he's thinking, all right. He's still becoming a little afraid now, I'll be honest with you, because what happens is, is further on in the story, it says, that, it says that Gideon, God goes up to Gideon and says, hey, if you're afraid, and he starts revealing a little bit more of his plan, What I want you to do is this. I want you to go down, sneak there with one of your servants, and I want you to hear and listen to the stories that they're all talking about. And in those stories, as they go down, him and Pearlie, they go down, and they start hearing people talk. And in those conversations, they're saying, I had this dream where we got rolled over by the Israelites. You heard that dream? I had this dream. And what he starts hearing is that, that the Midianites are afraid. 
135,000 people begin to start spreading rumors saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. Are we really at battle? We're going to be at battle with God. They raised up a whole nother judge. But Gideon is going, God, you just brought me down from 32,000, which gave me a little bit of the odds, down to 300. This is impossible. And you have these two stories. One, that there is fear and there is pain and there is a, there's a scaredness that's happening in that group of people. And you have another scaredness that's happening with God's people. But he's saying, I'm going to use this. And so he hears that and he goes, now go and tell the Israelites, those 300, now you're ready for battle. And so we get to our final point here this morning. Is that God's ultimate plan, number four, God's ultimate plan will lead us to restoration and redemption. But here's the key part, guys. It's for his glory and not our own. You see, whatever he is calling you to this morning it may think that it's gonna boost your confidence. You may think, hey, God is with me. That's why he has done all these things. But in the end, it's so not that so people can boast about what you have done. It's to bring people back to what he has done. And that his desire for you is to restore you and to redeem you. And here's the reality, is that we have 135,000 people in this area. You hear Pastor Mike talk about it. You hear him talking about Tracy Mountain House, Manteca, Lathrop, that there are groups of people where we're afraid of. Why were we afraid of them? Well, it's because if I say the name of God, if I mention the name of Jesus, that they are going to persecute me. And we're afraid that when we say, yes, I am a Christ follower, that I'm either going to get fired, that people are no longer going to talk to me, my community is going to ostracize me, and I am going to be alone. And what he's saying to you is saying, if you only heard the stories behind closed doors of what they are sharing, that I'm afraid, I'm hurt, and I feel like I'm losing a battle. But we're afraid of that. And God does the amazing thing here. As we continue our story in Judges chapter 15, it says, when Gideon heard the dream, and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out. He says, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And dividing the 300 men into three companies, so now they're getting smaller, three groups of 100, and he placed trumpets and empty jars in their, in their hands and all of them with torches inside. I know what you're thinking. You're like, that's what I want to go into battle with 135,000 people. It's a trumpet and a glass with a torch inside. But you see Gideon's get pumped here because I want you to picture this. Picture where he was being called a mighty warrior and all the doubt that's going and all the fear that's happening. And he says, finally, to those 300 men, he says, watch me. He told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. Can you see now a boldness of a leader that God has called, but also the humility, understanding that it's not about his power, but it's about God's, and he's going in the strength that he has. And in verse 18, it says, when I and all who are around are with me, blow our trumpets, Then from all around the camp, blow yours. You're going to have a concert. And shout, and I think Gideon had a part of this, 
for the Lord and for Gideon. I think his like, cockiness got back in there. And in verse 19, Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guards, they blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. And three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And verse 21, while each man held his position, which means they were not charging towards the 135,000, they were following Gideon's lead. It says, all the Midianites ran crying as they fled. In the last verse, verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. It says later on that 120,000 men died in that battle. And not one of them was being fought by the Israelites. They turned on each other. They were afraid. And what happened was, is that God was proving to Gideon saying, listen, when I called you a mighty warrior, it wasn't because you were some beefcake and ready to take on this army. It's because I'm telling you that it's not about what strength you have. It's about what I'm going to do. And I have this master plan and you might be afraid, but I'm telling you, you are a mighty warrior. And what I'm going to do with you is going to be for my glory. And it's going to restore people. And what we need to understand here, church, and this is our final point, is that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. You see, there's a ton of us here this morning or maybe saying, I want to follow God, but you do not know my story. I have, have pain in my life. I have hurt in my life. My family is the least in Tracy. We are not of the leadership clan of this church. We are not even the least in Tracy. And God is just simply saying, I want you to go in the strength that you have. And what happens is, is that it's when we finally say, okay, God, I'm gonna do this, that he takes us through those journeys. He takes us through those fleece exams and we're saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. And all of a sudden he's like, wow, that's so cool. Yes, I follow God. Wait a second, God, why are you taking this away from me? I just had a peace. Why are you having me to take these idols out of my life? It's because he doesn't want a Yahweh plus. He doesn't want a God plus. He's saying, I just want you to follow me and love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so what is it that God's calling you today? Maybe as an individual, you're just going, maybe for some of you is just say, hey, I maybe need to start sharing my faith more, whether it's in your work. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's not just about memorizing four scriptures and then telling someone about them. It really is about saying, this is my story. This is my song. This is what he's done in my life, and this is what he's been doing. And here's a scripture that I hold on to. This changed my life. What do we do as a church, though? You know, when I came here a year and a half ago, Pastor Mike, I heard Pastor Mike's vision, and I was excited about it. He's saying, hey, we have this initiative where we want to go ahead and, and, and do this this, this thing where we want to reach the city of Tracy. And not only that, we want to reach the city of Tracy, but we want to have a thousand adults in small groups. And I'm thinking, how many do you have right now? And he's praying because he's thinking, what is it going to take to reach Tracy? What is it going to reach to reach Mount House? 
What's it reach? to reach Antica, Lathrop, beyond. And we've got to start somewhere. And then maybe for some of you, you've been thinking, oh man, there's no way. Here, here's, here's the small group pastor pitch. The only way we're going to get to 1,000 adults in small groups is the breakdown is easy. We need to have at least 100 small group facilitators. No, not me. I don't know enough about the Bible. Go in the strength that you have. No, but you don't understand. Last time I tried doing one, it didn't work out well. Brave and mighty warrior. I'm with you. It's not about you. Be faithful with what I give you. Maybe for some of you, you're like, well, I can be an assistant. Well, we need 100 of those because guess what? Eventually, the only way we're gonna reach 135,000 people or plus in our region, which is growing like crazy, which you guys probably see construction, is saying we need to have at least 1,000 people that are gonna get there. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, okay, I, I know for sure I'm not called to teach or facilitate, but I have a house. I'll about my house. We need 100 of those. And what happens is, is that God is just saying, listen, go in the strength that you have. What is it that you have? And are you ready to just begin to start serving the Lord? But in the end, is he challenging you with what you believe? Is he taking you out of the comfort zones? Is he sometimes giving you things that are like, okay, maybe he's doing this, but be prepared because in the end, it's so that people can be restored and redeemed, but not for your glory, but for his and maybe for some of you saying, I don't feel qualified, but that's because he's waiting for you to step up in your call, brave and mighty warriors. Let's pray. Man, God, I love your story. I love your word. I love, Father God, Gideon's story because, Lord, I feel like at times this is my story, Lord. I feel like you have brought me to places, Lord, where there has been great things and great opportunities, Lord, but yet you have brought me there not in my full strength. You've brought me there in my full weakness. And God says, that's exactly where I need you to be. And God, I feel like you have the right people right now to hear this right message, Lord, and helping them understand that there's not one person in here that you are not calling a mighty warrior that you have a challenge for. And maybe for some it is that small group challenge. Lord, I just pray that you, Lord, are going to do a mighty work through us. And for some of us, we are doing it because we are scared, but Lord, we are doing it because you have asked us to. And God, we ask you, Lord, that you would simply restore our hearts. Help us and remind us, Lord, that, that we can be broken. And that God, when we see and hear the stories of your son Jesus and what he did on that cross, what we hear are stories that you love us. And so God, I pray, Lord, for some maybe here this morning who are just saying, man, I have wandered from my faith. I feel like I've wandered because I asked God and he started to dwindle down the 30,000 down to 300 and I thought it's because I did something wrong. And you missed the message of him saying, I'm ready to use you with that 300. I'm ready to use you with whatever strength you have left. But it's going to be for something big. And so God, I pray we would just not 
minimalize, Lord, what you have in store. God, thank you. Thank you for calling us brave and mighty warriors. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.